Tonight, the mainstream media and the Democrats tried to get clemency for a first-degree murderer because he was trans. Thankfully, they failed. It's Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and this is The Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Say, folks, have you been following the perverse saga that is, or rather was, the Amber McLaughlin story? For starters, here's a photo of the adorable Amber. Now, I don't mean to be harsh here, but this particular Amber looks more like a red light to me. Indeed, wouldn't you say that Lady Amber comes across as a little bit, you know, mannish? Well, your eyes aren't failing you, folks, because in the immortal words of Austin Powers... That ain't no woman. It's a man, man. Gee, could you even film such a scene like that these days without being hauled before some kangaroo court human rights tribunal and being charged with a thought crime? In any event, I am delighted to report that at around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time last night, a certain procedure was embraced which now allows us to refer to Amber in the past tense. That's because this monster, who was serving time in a Missouri jail for first-degree murder, was sent to the great hereafter via lethal injection, good riddance. Not that there wasn't a vigorous fight by the progressive left to save this chick with a dick, By the way, Amber McLaughlin's real name is Scott McLaughlin. That's because when he was born about a half century ago, nobody in their right mind would have dreamed of naming a bouncing baby boy as Amber. But in this young century, a moronic mantra endlessly uttered by those on the political left is, if it's trans, it's good, and if it's good, it's trans. And that's the crux of the matter when it comes to the McLaughlin story. After all, an inmate being put to death in the United States is hardly newsworthy. There are hundreds of prisoners on death row, several of whom are executed on an annual basis. The fact that a murderer was put to death in the USA is about as newsworthy as reporting that there is salt water in the Atlantic Ocean. But the Amber Scott saga is apparently newsworthy, we are told, because he's the first trans person to be executed, to which I have to say, who in blue hell cares? I'll leave it to your own devices to run a Google News search of this individual and dredge up the pathetic prose generated by the mainstream media. So much of it painted Scott as a really likable guy or gal or something. Check out this line from a CBS story, noting how a fellow inmate, Jessica Hinklin, described McLaughlin as, quote, a painfully shy person who came out of her shell after she decided to transition. She always had a smile and a dad joke. If you ever talked to her, it was always with the dad jokes, end quote. Oh, hearty har har. Stop it with those dad jokes already, Scotty boy. You're killing me. In any event, the mainstream media narrative suggested that executing Scott was in itself a crime because, well, he now dons female props and 
he identifies as a she. And as previously stated, if it's trans, it's good. And if it's good, it's trans. Indeed, in many respects, a scene from Family Guy is now proving to be eerily prescient. Excuse me, ma'am. No porn at the bar. Oh, it's okay. I'm transgender. Oh, I, I had no idea. Do whatever you want all the time. Yeah, do whatever you want all the time because Halloween is every day in our not-so-brave new world. Oh, I can hear some bleeding hearts right now reacting thusly. Oh, Menzies, why are you being so mean to this good-time pal that really loves telling dad jokes and smiling? Oh, well, here's why. In many of the news stories covering the McLaughlin story, you have to drill down some four or five paragraphs to find out why Scotty Boy was on death row in the first place. You see, some two decades ago, Scott McLaughlin was convicted of killing 45-year-old Beverly Gunther. Gunther was McLaughlin's former girlfriend back when Amber was a he-him as opposed to a she-her. And it should also be noted, folks, that before he stabbed Beverly Gunther to death with a steak knife, Scott raped her. By the way, before she was murdered, Miss Gunther lived in constant fear of her life. Scott incessantly stalked her, and it was not uncommon for the police to escort Beverly from her office building to her car in the parking lot. Ah, but Scott McLaughlin, he eventually got his way raping and killing Beverly, then placing her body in a garbage bag and dumping that bag in the Mississippi River as if this woman was nothing but a piece of trash. Now, that wasn't very ladylike of Scotty, wouldn't you say, folks? And that's the real story here, that a malicious and brutal and violent man finally got what was coming to him. But in the department of burying the lead, as we like to say in the journalism business, for so many in the mainstream media, the brutal murder Scott carried out was not the crux of the matter. Rather, the news peg was that since he was pretending to be a she, that means the state of Missouri should have granted this she-male thug clemency. Indeed, in media reports, it was noted that in his final written statement before going on an eternal date with the Grim Reaper, Scott wrote the following, quote, I am a loving and caring person, end quote. <laughs> Can you believe that rubbish? I mean, wow, if rape and murder is the bailiwick of a loving and caring person, I'd hate to see what sort of shenanigans are carried out by a real son of a bitch. Or is it simply bitch, given that Scott's last appearance on terra firma was as Amber? Oh, it's also confusing, isn't it? And of course, leave it to the Joe Biden Democrats to go to bat for this monster. Check out this pithy prose from the UK's Guardian newspaper. Quote, two Missouri members of Congress, Democrats Cory Bush and Emmanuel Cleaver, had been campaigning for McLaughlin's sentence to be commuted and last week wrote to Governor Mike Parson urging him to scrap the execution. They noted that McLaughlin, 49, was given the death sentence when the judge in the case made a unilateral decision after the jury deadlocked on her fate. The members of Congress complained about alleged shortcomings in her trial, including failure to include expert testimony and evidence on the defendant's mental health, end quote. By the way, 
that's a whopper of a line there, isn't it? That line about McLaughlin's mental health. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there is indeed a body of evidence indicating that a disproportionate number of trans individuals suffer from various mental health issues, ranging from autism to Asperger's syndrome. But to mention this research in certain circles, one shall be deemed to be a hater and or a transphobe. Yet when an allegedly trans individual is on death row fighting for his or her life, suddenly those members of the loving left unapologetically play the mental illness card. Gee, talk about desperation. Talk about hypocrisy. Talk about chutzpah. Incidentally, I say allegedly trans because how do we know for certain that Scotty wasn't a grifter, that he wasn't playing a colossal con game here? The goal being to get into a female penitentiary where, you know, he would have a stable of vulnerable real women to prey on. Yeah, I know he's shy and he likes to tell dad jokes all the time, but still. By the way, thanks to Prime Minister Blackface McGroper, this is par for the course here in Canada these days. You can be a six foot five, 350 pound bearded, violent dude, and you merely have to identify as Tinkerbell, and you will be allowed to serve your sentence in a woman's prison. No hormone shots, no slicing and dicing of the genitals. You merely have to make believe that you are female, and voila, it will be completely accepted as such. I know that sounds insane and downright unbelievable, but it's true. Check out this snippet from a report we filed back in 2021 pertaining to a protest outside a federal woman's penitentiary in Kitchener, Ontario. When I first got here, I was told right away by some of the women to watch out for a certain prisoner. And I said, wait, we have men here? And they're like, yeah, we do. But you're not allowed to call them men and you have to use she, her pronouns. Are you telling me, Heather, I can just deviously say, hey, I'm a woman all of a sudden and I'm here. Yes, you could. Will you uh, do your best to ensure that trans women are put in prison uh, or prison more appropriate to their gender identity? The answer is yes. The next day it was policy. And Unbelievable. That is how much consideration women got. It's sorry to see real women like yourselves throw women inmates under the bus because of males pretending to be females. I, I will not call him a woman because he was not. Um, how he victimized women throughout the compound over that period of time absolutely floored me. We really should be able to define a woman in this country. And sure, let trans people live the way they want. However, you can't just throw women under the bus. Faking transgender just to be where you want to be, where your victim pool is, is wrong. I, right now, identify as a female, and if I'm found guilty, I want to be incarcerated in that building. Is that okay? Sir, you have the right to do whatever you want. Incredible. Now, thankfully, Missouri Governor Mike Parson did not bend the knee to the woke mobsters and the transgender tyrants. Here's what the governor had to say yesterday, quote, McLaughlin is a violent criminal. Miss Gunther's family and loved ones deserve peace. The state of Missouri will carry out McLaughlin's sentence according to the court's order and deliver justice, end quote. Yeah, justice. I know what you're thinking. What a concept these days, eh? But I should mention this in the Department of Cosmic Irony and Coincidence. 
The same day Scott McLaughlin was being prepped for the long needle, news broke that one of the great thinkers of our time, Dr. Jordan Peterson, is now being persecuted for wrong thought? Dr. Peterson first came to prominence, of course, when he was teaching at the University of Toronto several years ago and took a stand against compelled speech, especially the insistence to refer to those various spirit unicorns on campus with phony baloney pronouns such as Zer and Zizem and Zer Her and so on and so forth. He has since gone on to write bestsellers and to be a much sought after speaker the world over. In any event, Dr. Peterson took to Twitter yesterday to state the following, quote, breaking the Ontario College of Psychologists has demanded that I submit myself to mandatory social media communication retraining with their experts for, among other crimes, retweeting Pierre Polyev and criticizing Justin Trudeau and his political allies. I am to take a course of such training with reports documenting my progress or face an in-person tribunal and suspension of my right to operate as a licensed clinical psychologist. About a dozen people from all over the world submitted complaints about my public statements on Twitter and Rogan over a four-year period out of the 15 million who follow me on social media claiming that I had harmed people, not them, with my views, end quote. Incredible and downright chilling. Dr. Peterson's colleagues think he must be reprogrammed now for embracing free speech, for taking a stance against insanity. And by the way, who exactly looks upon Jordan Peterson as being controversial for simply espousing common sense? Is it the woke mob on campus, Antifa, those experiencing mental illness and or the trans community? As for the Ontario College of Psychologists, please, physicians, heal thyself. So there you have it, folks. A first-degree murderer is supposedly deserving of our compassion and our forgiveness because the killer took to donning a wig and earrings and splashing some garish makeup on his face, thereby morphing into a transgendered person in the process. And besides, he was shy and, you know, he loved the crack dad jokes. Meanwhile, someone such as Dr. Jordan Peterson, a man blessed with a brilliant mind and someone who does not bend the knee to society's rancid cancel culture mobsters, he is being called upon the carpet by some quacks populating a star chamber in order to justify his so-called wrong thoughts as though we are currently living in some real-life Orwellian nightmare? Give me a break. In the final analysis, the year 2023 is barely 96 hours old, and it would appear that planet Earth is still continuing to self-identify as Clown World. Now, folks, you might recall the name Jesse Johnson. He's a restaurateur who operated a popular Calgary pizzeria. But about a year ago, Calgary Bylaw went on a jihad to put this entrepreneur out of business. 
And what was his egregious crime, you ask? Did he run afoul of health and safety guidelines? <laughs> Hardly. Here's the tweet Johnson issued after losing his pizza parlor. Quote, I lost my business because I fed an unvaccinated child a pizza. That's right. A 13-year-old who didn't get jabbed sat down and ate a pizza in my restaurant. That was against the law. My neighbors heard and ratted me out to the cops. Then they all laughed when they shut us down, end quote. Well, so much for that mantra, we're all in this together. Absolutely unbelievable. And joining me now is Jesse Johnson of Without Papers Pizza. Hey, Jesse, welcome to the Ezra Levent Show. My honor to be on, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time as always. So, Jesse, please explain how an unvaccinated teenager eating a slice of pepperoni pizza in your restaurant is akin to, oh, I don't know, entertaining the modern-day version of Typhoid Mary. What, what was bylaw thinking? Uh, the city of Calgary enacted bylaw 65M2021 that required me to uh, discriminate anybody who had not received uh, a, an experimental uh, medical injection uh, in order to eat a pizza in my restaurant. Anybody who was uh, 13 years old in order had to uh, receive this injection in order to sit down. Um, a girl came in and uh, sat down, I ate a pizza. I refused to check her medical records uh, and that caused the authorita to come and uh, close my restaurant. I was in business for 20 years. I was an institution in Calgary. I was a pillar of my community. Uh, after I said that I wouldn't participate in uh, the medical segregation of society, uh, everyone turned on me like a bunch of treacherous snakes. And, and you know, Jesse, we've always been told to follow the science. Now, you said something very interesting there. Uh, you had to be older than 12, uh, you know, for you to um, be able to go into a restaurant and show your papers, prove your vaccination status. But if that child was one year younger, if he was 12 instead of 13, uh, then that would have been completely all right. So the COVID-19 virus, it can determine who it's going to infect by age. I mean, this sounds ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it also didn't affect you if you sat down, uh, but when you stood up, you had to put your mask on. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the lunacy and uh, uh, insanity uh, was just uh, an abomination of justice and of uh, reasoning. You know, the other disturbing thing about this, you mentioned you were a pillar of the community, and yet you mentioned in your tweet that I read the other businesses in the area, at least some of them, they ratted you out to the police why would they do that, Jesse? I think under the guise of safety, uh, there was also a uh, omnipresent uh, uh, fear that existed in society at that time. Uh, and uh, I think many people felt it was their duty to uh, inform the, uh, the powers that be that uh, I was not complying with the tyranny. Uh, I was never an anti-vaxxer. Uh, I simply didn't think that uh, it was right for me to discriminate anybody uh, to come into my restaurant, uh, especially uh, to turn somebody away for being nothing else other than the exact same of me. Uh, I would not participate in it. And uh, I expressly stated that. Uh, and that upset a great many people, including the mayor, Jason Kenney, um, all sorts of members of the NDP. All of these people were customers of mine. Jason Kenney used to come and drink at my restaurant often. Um, yeah, there was no way I was going to participate in that. And I couldn't believe that so many people fell for it, um, that this was uh, nothing. It was based purely on political science, uh, and it was obvious for uh, anybody except the completely daft to see.
Yeah, I think you're right, Jesse. And I mean, uh, when it comes to Jason Kenney, he's now yesterday's man in Alberta. And I think his behavior during the pandemic, uh, the way, um, you know, businesses and individuals were targeted that didn't go along uh, with his plans. That's a big reason why he is now the ex-premier, uh, I think, at least. But, you know, um, the other thing that I found remarkable, and I want to get your input, Jesse, is that how quickly things changed when it came to um, privacy. Uh, it used to be one's medical records. That was you know, information between you and your doctor. Suddenly we have people asking, uh, did you get uh, shots and boosters for this, that, and the other? Uh, then there's also, the, and the left especially subscribed to the uh, chestnut, my body, my choice. I guess that only applies to when you're terminating a baby, uh, not when you're getting, as you mentioned, an experimental vaccine uh, put in your arm. Um, what do you make of what happened in the world uh, these last two years, Jesse? Uh, I never thought that I would ever see something like this happen, uh, especially in my beloved Canada. Uh, I never thought I would see uh, a country divided. Uh, that bylaw, uh, the, the, the vaccine passport was the most heinous crime ever enforced upon Canadians. It literally divided a nation, pitted family against family, peer against peer, uh, all for, uh, uh, you know, private medical decisions. Uh, and uh, those decisions should have been kept private all along. Uh, and they were forced to be public. And upon doing so, you were to be vilified and ostracized from society. It was uh, disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. And uh, uh, it, it shocked me uh, how we refused to learn from our past. Oh, I share your sentiment, Jesse. And also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think um, your pizza parlor officially went out of business uh, October of 2021. Is that correct? That is correct. And in the meantime, what have you been doing, if anything, I, I guess, to get back in business? It's taken me quite some time to uh, recover, to be quite honest with you. Uh, the emotional toll that it's taken upon, upon me is... Uh, uh, still has ramifications. I wake up every single night and think to myself, you know, what have I done and how did this happen and how could I possibly lose it all for doing what I thought was the right thing, uh, the moral thing and uh, what uh, God himself would have done, I believe. Jesse, how would you react to, I guess, a contrarian out there who would say, you know, all you had to do was follow the rules, follow the law, ensure people were vaccinated when they came into your restaurant, and then you'd still be in business? What's your answer to that point of view? Uh, I think those people are asinine. Uh, that I should have to discriminate anybody for any length of time uh, in order to uh, perpetuate a scam uh, was beyond uh, me. And uh, for me to have participated in for, for even one single hour uh, was not possible. Uh, yeah, the good Lord will judge you, not me. And Jesse, moving forward, we're in the very early stages of 2023. Um, is there any possibility, um, you know, there has been uh, a bit of regime change in Alberta. Uh, Mr. Kenny is gone. Mrs. Smith is in. Um, is there any possibility you might be back up and running? And especially with the uh, new regime, there will be, uh, I would suspect, more tolerance for businesses such as yours. I do feel that the narrative is changing. Uh, I'm thankful that Daniel Smith is our new premier. Uh, I hope that she follows through with the promises that she makes. 
Uh, it is my intention to uh, hold the government accountable for the crimes that they have committed against me. Uh, my business supported uh, two families, employed 30 people, and uh, generated millions of dollars in tax over the course of its life. Uh, and uh, I intend to uh, seek retribution uh, for what was uh, for what was committed against me. I've set up a give, send, go, and uh, uh, I'm going to find a lawyer uh, who uh, is not corrupted by the system, uh, who will recognize that uh, I adhered to the Charter of Rights and, uh, and Freedoms. It was me that upheld the law and not the law holders themselves. Uh, and I, 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 I intend to hold these, these, these tyrants uh, accountable. You know, I, I wish you well, uh, Jesse. I mean, we've been told from the get-go this is all based on science. Uh, I think you're correct. It's not medical science. It's political science driving the decisions. I don't think there's one iota of evidence that you having a 13-year-old boy coming into your restaurant, eating a slice of pizza without vaccination was going to cause any ill will to anyone. It is just egregious how the authorities went after you. Jesse, last word goes to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to thank Rebel News. Uh, when this first occurred to me, I was very uh, naive as to uh, what was going on in the world. And I realized quickly that the mainstream media in Canada uh, was nothing more than uh, uh, state-funded uh, propaganda for Trudeau and uh, all his henchmen. Uh, and uh, I was uh, in a state of despair. Uh, I reached out to Rebel News and uh, you sent uh, Sid Vizard, Adam, Su Adam Seuss, uh, Kian Simone, uh, true, uh, true rebels, true reporters uh, who uh, risked their reputation uh, to show the other side of the story. God bless you. God bless Rebel News and uh, God bless Canadians. Indeed, and I, I believe there might be a mini documentary in the works to chronicle um, what happened uh, to your uh, pizza parlor, Jesse. So uh, we have that to look forward to. Listen, Happy New Year nonetheless. I hope you're back in business. I, I heard you made a really great pizza pie. Uh, I'd love to see you uh, back in business again, Jesse. And uh, thanks so much for your time once again. Absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you. And that was Jesse Johnson, the owner of the now dearly departed Without Papers Pizza. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Levant Show to come right after this. Well, folks, plenty of feedback to my monologue from last night regarding Aaron O'Toole's essay. You know, he's very offended by those F. Trudeau flags, and he wishes that they would go away in 2023. How about yesterday's man, Aaron O'Toole, goes away instead? In any event, the S-Foil writes, Like I told the CPC fundraiser who called me looking for money when O'Toole won the party leadership, no, I won't give you money or my vote because Aaron O'Toole is Justin Trudeau with less hair. Well, my friend, you were obviously ahead of the curve. We saw some disturbing signs during the 2021 election campaign that indicated that contrary to what Aaron O'Toole was professing, he was not a true blue conservative. And the fact that he's going to bat for Justin Trudeau given all of his scandals and misdemeanors these last seven-odd years? Unbelievable. 
Splayed Boko writes, guess now you need F Trudeau and F O two O flags. Well, you know what? I wouldn't mind. Uh, is anyone selling F O two O flags? Or given that this man is so irrelevant in 2023, really, would that not be a waste of fabric? Also, a lot of uh, email to come in regarding my interview with Billboard Chris and ongoing gender surgeries with children. Thomas Jones simply says, WTF. Well, first of all, Thomas, I think Aaron O'Toole might be offended by those initials. You know, he's, he's a very sensitive person. But yeah, Billboard Chris, folks, was um, basically showing how at Boston Children's Hospital, lots of gender reassigning sur reassignment surgery is taking place. I would call it gender mutilation surgery on children as young as 12 to 14. It's absolutely despicable. And really, let's look at the bottom line, which is the bottom line. There is tons of money to be made here when you get even a child on an operating table and mutilate their genitalia. It is absolutely sickening. And let's hope more in the medical community stand up and say, this is wrong. Well, folks, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. That is tonight's Ezra Levent Show. Sheila Gunn-Reed, she'll be here tomorrow and Friday. The Big Boss Man will be back on Monday. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and stay sane. Hey, how's it going? Celine Gallus here with Rebel News. Now, folks, I've tied my findings for today's breakdown to the so-called green energy reset that the ruling elites would have you believe is beneficial, but would really have you give up many of the beneficial and I dare say basic necessities that you're used to in your life, like heating your house or driving a vehicle that runs on fossil fuels. Now, and in order to uphold their dystopian version of what they would have our society look like, today's video will be all about AI and a few ways that artificial intelligence will impact society in our near future. Starting with ChatGPT, which is currently one of the world's most powerful language processing AI models to date, if not the most. Now, the most popular feature is its highly capable chatbot which to try and simplify this chatbot's incredible ability to mimic human language, I've personally seen examples of this AI's ability to write poems and satire. Its capabilities are seemingly endless, with ChatGPT being able to take on even more sophisticated and complex topics from things like quantum mechanics to writing long, detailed-oriented essays, regardless of the challenging prompts that you give it. Now, in essence, this AI breaks down and digests whatever you give it and answers it at an inhuman rate. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. According to Renewable Energy magazine, in an article that provides the reader with the supposed top five ways that AI is improving energy capabilities, sitting at number two reads, reduce energy waste. Now here, take a look at this. The article then proceeds to list all the top ways that AI has the potential to automate so-called smart grids, which are said to replace our current energy grids in the near future if certain green initiatives brought forward by the WEF are met. So naturally, if I can conceptualize how AI can potentially be beneficial, then surely there must be a downside, right? We'll start with how our environment is affected by the heinous energy demands these machines take to be able to run. A study from 2019 produced by the College of Information and Computer Sciences Department from the University of Massachusetts revealed that in order to just train this one AI, namely a deep learning and natural language processing AI, or NLP for short, produces around 300,000 kilograms of CO2, 
And to break that down further, that's a carbon footprint equal to five times the lifetime emissions produced from a single average American car. That's massive. Another crazy example would be that those emissions roughly translate to the equivalent of, get this, 125 round trip flights from New York City in the United States to Beijing, China. But it doesn't stop there. In a previous video I did where I provided a breakdown as to why Switzerland would be putting a ban on electric vehicles this winter in order to reasonably sustain their electricity grids, I gave reference to the many ways manufacturing metals and materials like cobalt and lithium, which are used to construct batteries for electrical vehicles, all demand the use of equipment like vehicles and high-powered tools to name a few that all run on fossil fuels. So from the very beginning stages of mining to the end stages of transporting these goods, fossil fuels are an integral part of this process. And the same goes for the large data infrastructures that need to be built first to run these high-powered AI machines. This again entails the mining and transportation of materials, which again, all require fossil fuels in order to be completed. Naturally, this isn't the first time OpenAI has successfully developed a program that would take over the internet in a storm. Another AI success is, is DALI. Similar to the other popular AI-run image generating app called Lenza, which you may have seen recently in a trend that has taken over the internet with gorgeous, but sometimes creepy AI-generated art, the Lenza app takes normal pictures supplied by you, of you or anyone of your choosing, and turns them into AI-generated works of art. And this is done by using Prisma's AI, which has learned its various forms of painting and art techniques from real life artists. Some of these artists have even claimed this to be a form of theft, since it does take a human many years of mastery to produce what this AI does in seconds. Now that might not sound all bothersome to most people, to give a little bit of a background, Prisma Labs, which is the Russian-built and owned parent company founded in 2016 by Alexei Moizenkov and a team of Russian developers, are very good at what they do. Now, just a little food for thought, folks. I was curious myself, so I took a sneak peek at Prisma's terms and conditions. Lenza and company owns the right to your facial metric and any digital artwork made from you by choosing to use this seemingly innocent, fun, and innovative filter over your real-life selfies. If information is power, folks, then surely the information you give up is power over you. Who knew the impending Terminator takedown would start with replicating art and the mimicry of human language arts? For Rebel News, this was Celine Gallus.